freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Welcome to episode 102 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona, and I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm Dan Todd, and I've got the uh, shot show, whatever they call it, where you get sick after you... (laughs) the crud the crud but i tell you what a great show that was it was so fun i want to talk about that today um our theme is today is yesterday's tomorrow and you know what <laughs> i'm gonna have to ask cheryl about that because i did and i just, think it's probably gonna take her the whole show to explain so did you just, just do that on. german shepherd kind of head tilt just now i, I did <laughs> I I will explain myself, okay? Today is yesterday's tomorrow. I've been watching all the hubbub about the memo and the NFL national anthem mess and the State of the Union address. And what came to mind was today is yesterday's tomorrow. Now, that might sound a little confusing, but what do I mean by that? What I'm saying is that what we do today impacts all of our tomorrows. It's all connected in a thread. What we teach our children in this present moment about our history will impact their future and the future of this country. How we spend our time today, where we invest our energies, and the way we treat our neighbors will ripple into the future. You know, kids, they don't always understand all the fancy $5 words that we use, but they definitely know how to read body language, and they absolutely understand tone of voice. Imagine if you go to a foreign country where you don't know the language. All you have to go on are these kinds of cues. It's so like Maya Angelou said, people won't remember what you said But they definitely will remember how they felt when you said it, how you made them feel. Examine the past week of your life. What messages did you send to any children who observed your behavior and your actions? There's a scripture verse. Now, don't get nervous. Some of you get nervous when I talk scripture. I'm not indoctrinating you, but there's a lot of wisdom in this. It's Matthew 6.21. It says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That simply means that what you value will be where you put your time and effort, your money and attention. Dave Ramsey says, look at your credit card statements and your checkbook register. That will tell you what you value. Check the history on your electronic gadget, smartphone, computer. That will tell you what others already know about you including children they are so much more observant than we realize so the good news the good news is that today you can make any 
adjustment that you want. Today, you can decide to think and act differently. You are not a slave to yesterday, but tomorrow is a slave to today. See, tomorrow can only reflect what happened. So it is a slave to you. You have the power to give tomorrow a better story to tell about you, whatever that means. Does it mean smiling more or learning something new? Does it mean forgiving a slight or a debt? Maybe it means you pick up a book and read it to someone in a care home, volunteer at a local homeless shelter, mentor children in an after-school program. What can you do to make tomorrow better? Every one of us has that immense power because every today is yesterday's tomorrow. Dan? Well, all I have to say, I've been married like 32 years. (laughs) I know what I say today is going to affect me tomorrow. (laughs) All right? Hey, we got a yeah, great show. because you're a smart man and you've, you've yes, figured that I out. Yes, I am. I am a smart man. <laughs> but honey, it's I, I'm fine, right? <laughs> it's it's okay. It's, Tomorrow. Nothing's wrong, right? Isn't that what we... <laughs> hey, let's get to work here. We got a great show. Uh, our first hour guest is Ling Nu, a 2018 nominee to the NRA Board of Directors, a Gunsight Academy Range Master, and Professional Hunting Guide in the U.S. Absolutely. So she's one of the uh, four, I think, new nominees who have not served before on the board. And I've talked to all of them except for Il Ling. So I'm super excited to have her on. Yes. And um, if you're an NRA lifetime Mm -hmm. member, you can vote, right? Mm -hmm. And the the ballots are in the American Rifleman magazine, right? Yep. So, you you know, you need to pay attention to these candidates Mm -hmm. and find out what they have to offer for the NRA. We also have Dr. Edwin Vera, he is um, an expert on the United States Constitution. I have some interesting questions for him today. Mm-hmm. A graduate of Harvard Law School and a member of the Bar at the, of the Supreme Court of the United States. Wow. He is here to talk about the Second Amendment from a historical constitutional perspective. Mm-hmm. Our second hour, we have Sydney Powell. I've seen her before. Yeah, we've interviewed her a few times. She's awesome. She's the author of the best-selling nonfiction book, License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice. Uh, is that, does that happen? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> She's nationally known for her uh, as a former federal prosecutor, lead counsel in more than 500 federal appeals. She also serves as a senior policy advisor for the America First and is a senior fellow for the London Center for Policy Research. She will give us some perspective on the memo. The memo. Is it a yawn or is it like the end of life as we know it? Like, because when you look at social media, it's all over that spectrum. So I'm hoping she can kind of help fill in some of the blanks for us. We also have Natalie Foster creator of Girls Guide to Guns, an online resource for females who are new to the shooting sports, an NRA commentator, and she hosts Love at First Shot at NRA's Women's TV. Natalie, her second child, wait, Natalie is just gave birth to her second child, and we wanted to ask her about shooting while pregnant. I need to know about that. Well, she was on our last show, and we just ran out of time so fast, and she had all this great research about what to talk, uh, like kind of like how to interact with 
a doctor who's intrusive about, well, how many guns do you have at home? And, you know, these kinds of things. Um, and so that was too important not to bring her back on to talk hey, about. Hey, you know what? We just got, like I said, we got back from the SHOT Show. Mm-hmm. What a fantastic time we had. We were um, we were able to go to the, uh, the, range, sh- the day, range Day. Media Day at the Range. It's so awesome. I got to shoot some cool guns. You know, one of the things I really want to talk about is that IWI Tavor shotgun. It's a 16-round shotgun. And you shoot... Five rounds, you turn it, shoot five more, you so turn it. So it's like it, a shoot. revolver shotgun. Well, no, 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 no. The whole but, barrel revolves. Well, underneath, the, yeah, I guess the the feed tube does. And it's really it's cool. It's just cool. Yeah, it's cool because you, sh- you shoot the five rounds, you turn the revolver, uh, the cylinder, and it shoots another five. You don't have to recock it or anything. It's ready to go. And it just shot really comfortable. I really enjoyed that. But then I found that Caltech makes a 25-round shotgun. Whoa. Did you? I, 25 rounds. Whoa. That's a box of shells. <laughs> That's just smart, if you ask me. Why do you want to have an extra spot for the extra shells that you leave in the box? Just right. put it all in the gun. That's right. Just take it with you. And so uh, we actually uh, have got one of those in the store already, and uh, I really like it. It's a good gun. But the whole thing, I mean, the shell... How many people did you meet at the SHOT Show? Oh, my gosh. It was such a good show for um, connecting with people and getting a lot of interviews. Be sure and check our uh, Gun Freedom Radio YouTube channel uh, and also our Gun Freedom Radio Facebook page because a lot of the interviews are already posted and a bunch more are soon to come. But, man, it was like every minute... I was there was pre-planned and used and so it was it was just an incredible show as far as as getting to talk to people and get that um, out for a wider audience a larger audience Um, one of the really fun things we did now Grizzly Targets set this up and it was the first year they did it Uh, they it was kind of like a pop-up interview speed dating style interview session at the Flamingo uh, Casino, but it was off to, you know, one of their smaller bars. We just kind of grabbed a table, uh, turned on our Facebook Live, and, you know, just looked across the room at all the different people that we know in this industry, grabbed them one by one, brought them over, and did a, a quick interview with each one of them. And it was really fun and I, I know we're going to do it again and I, I told the Grizzly Target guys count me in big time for this because it was really really fun and I think it's fun to watch too. What a great idea it brought people together and everybody was able to talk about product and their lives it was great. also want to give a shout out to Penavinos. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I best still, restaurant. Best mm, restaurant. It's off the Las strip Vegas. but yes. oh man worth looking up. And our good friend Maj Ture, who we've had on several times on our show, he was invited to SHOT Show to be a keynote speaker. So how about that? I thought, and he did an amazing job, of course, because he just really is gifted in being able to convey a message in in a very articulate way, in a way that, that, you know, really only he can. And it was was really, really good. And I'm just excited um, to have... Uh, him be more visible in that way because the people that want to say oh the you know gun shooting industry and 
people are not diverse and you know those kinds of things just um just open your eyes look and see who's who's involved look and see what the work that's being done out there um just even the interviews that i was able to do at shot show um there there's a lot of diversity in our field you look at that building you go upstairs and you look down on the floor Mm -hmm. there's every single type of person every demographic every i mean this is an international event to begin with so you know to try to say that it's just uh you know, single white male, bearded, camo, camouflage dressed guy. Um, you really, you haven't looked. You don't know. So everybody was there, even that one guy. That one guy. <laughs> That's good. No, yeah. So awesome. Well, we've got to run to commercial because we want to jump back in here and start talking to our list of guests. And up first is Il Ling. New, one of the 2018 nominees to the NRA Board of Directors. Stick around. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. There ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. Absolutely. AZFirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. AZFirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit AZFirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf. Hi folks, I'm Don Kyer. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours too.
Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Where the hits keep coming and coming. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know, I have to out myself just a tiny bit here. So we've got this patriotic theme music all through the show today. And I really was feeling patriotic, and it kind of stemmed up from, you know, the Super Bowl, and was there going to be any controversy about the Star Spangled Banner and people standing or kneeling or whatever? So it was already on my mind, but um, so the calendar hanging on my wall was still turned to November of 2017, and when I looked at the next Saturday coming up, it's... (laughs) See what I go through? See what I go through, It's Veterans Day, so I'm... I'm organizing a Veterans Day show and (laughs) President's Day. Yes, I like it. Thank you, Ed. Studio executive. He's always on it. He's like, yes, let's save this. So, yeah, that's that's your host. Uh, That's how focused in I am. But anyway, let's. That's what I thought you meant with President's Day. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Ed. Thank you. Bless your heart, Cheryl. Covering my behind here. Well, somebody that is very focused in is our next guest, Il Ling Nu. She is one of the 2018 nominees to the NRA Board of Directors. She's a Gun Sight Academy Range Master and a professional hunting guide in the U.S. And we want to welcome her to the show right now. Il Ling, are you with us? I am. Well, welcome. I'm so excited we were able to connect. I uh, I was hoping I was going to see you at SHOT Show, but you were off doing, was it hunting, hunt guiding? What were you doing? Oh, I was I was hosting a professional hunter of PH from Zimbabwe over here in Idaho. Wow. Well, that's kind of a big deal. So that's phenomenal. And uh, so now we get a chance to catch up and, and talk to you a little bit about this whole I mean, this is huge news, right? When you get, I don't know, is it a call? Is it an email? And and somebody says, hey, we're we're nominating you to the NRA Board of Directors. That's that's kind of a big deal. It was a very big deal. It is a very big deal to me, certainly. And it was very unexpected as well. But uh, what can I say? I'm honored. Absolutely. So I have a series of questions just to kind of help our listeners say, well, what kind of distinguishes Il Ling from any of the other board of directors that are already serving, any of the new ones that are being nominated, uh, just to help our, our voting membership know a little bit more about you. So what would you say uniquely qualifies you to serve on the NRA board of directors? Uh, well, I think like many of the nominees, and many of our members, our NRA members, I've got a fairly broad perspective of the firearms community. I was a collegiate competitor. I'm a recreational shooter. I'm a big-time hunter. I'm also a very, very strong believer in self-defense. But beyond that, I also have a lifetime of, of interaction with uh, people who are not so like-minded. I was born and raised in California. I went to liberal schools. I worked in California. I also lived about 10 years internationally in various countries that didn't allow firearms and still do not allow firearms. So I've got a different perspective on um, 
sort of anti-firearm mm-hmm. community think as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important. You know, we've got to be able to address people's concerns, not just dismiss them, but actually know how to interact with with where that intersects, right? And people that are sort of in that middle space and they're not quite sure, um, you know, what what is this whole thing? That's it's kind of the purpose of our show is to reach that middle space. Are guns good? Are they evil? I mean, what's this whole thing? And if we aren't engaging that segment, we don't have much of a future. So I, I think that that's, um, that's really important. So next question. What does the Second Amendment mean to you, and why is it important to you to protect and preserve this specific part of the Bill of Rights? That is a fabulous question. Um, As an American, and even more as the child of legal immigrants who themselves came from countries where they saw war and they saw governments taking over, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, I, for me, the, the, the defense of our natural right to protect ourselves and those whom we choose to protect is the central tenet that I hold dear in the Second Amendment. Mm. Very well said. So should you be elected, what experiences will you bring to help make future policy within the NRA as a board member? I think I mentioned, okay, I lived overseas and worked overseas for about 10 years. And in doing so, I had to learn oftentimes the hard way to listen, to interpret and reinterpret and to make sure that I understood what people were trying to get across and then to translate those concepts um, and then to communicate them to whomever needed to hear them. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm hoping that that's going to serve me well um, in the NRA. Um, I think that I will rely on the most to help communicate what I gather in from outside, mm-hmm. so to speak, mm-hmm. and bring to my, my fellow NRA members. Absolutely. So if you are successfully elected to the board, what is one area you would like to be instrumental in changing or growing within the NRA, and how would you make that happen? I think you said it best. It's that middle space. It's Mm -hmm. people who aren't quite sure, who don't perhaps understand exactly what the Second Amendment means to them, Mm -hmm. specifically and individually and to communicate how important it is to them in their daily lives, in their ability to protect their families. I think being able to speak to them and perhaps bring them into the membership fold will be one of my my biggest priorities. Absolutely. And so adding in the responsibilities of NRA board member to your already very busy schedule, how will you stay accessible to and connected with your constituents who are NRA members all across the country? Well, fortunately for me, my work um, as a firearms trainer and also in hunting allows me to travel quite a bit throughout the country. And thank goodness for social media. Mm-hmm. I think we, we all rely on that these days. Amen. And we really have to, yes, exactly, to, to be able to, to listen to everybody and to communicate with everybody. So I'm hoping that um, those two allow me to stay well-connected. Absolutely. And, you know, as members might have questions or concerns or just you know, maybe want a finer point on something that we've talked about today or a question that maybe I forgot to even ask you, 
how could they reach out to you and, and connect with you? They are free to email me at ilnew at onthewildside.com. And I know that your website also has all the links mm-hmm. uh, to be able to communicate with me. I welcome, I welcome the communication, whether or not I end up on the NRA board. Reach out, please. Absolutely. And so just as we kind of start wrapping up here, um, talk to us a little bit about, you have a very interesting um, career arc, could we call it, or education arc, or, I mean, you are not the average firearms trainer out there. Um, You know, you're Ivy League school, schooled, um, you come from corporate uh, background. Um, am I paraphrasing this well? T- talk to us a little bit about how how you made the, this journey. Yes, you're nailing it. I really, on paper, my friends laugh and say that I'm the <laughs> picture perfect liberal, um, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I was fortunate in that my father, who came to the U.S. at two years old, um, loved to hunt and to shoot and to fish and believed that every human being should know how to shoot a firearm. Mm -hmm. And so that was one of the early things that I was introduced to. And it was something that I really enjoyed and had an affinity for. So that stuck with me, has has stayed with me my entire life, regardless of the other meanderings that my path has taken. And um, actually, I'm really fortunate, too, in that I did go to a very liberal Ivy League school, Yale, but it still has a shooting team. And I was lucky to be on that shooting team when I was was at Yale uh, throughout my college career. So I just want a little shout out to the Yale uh, Skeet and Trap team. Absolutely. And still um, right now today, they still have it. Yes. Yes. And we're really, really proud of them. Absolutely. Yes. And so because I was able to maintain my interests and my activities in the shooting and hunting world, I was able to stay current and to realize more and more and more how important firearms are in our lives as Americans. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time for joining us here today and for kind of, you know, let me put the hot spotlight on you, (laughs) you know, ask you these questions because, you know, we, you know, what we say is voting matters, your vote matters. And how how can people vote if they haven't taken the time to really, you know, think about the issues that are important and, and kind of vet and talk to and get to know the, the candidates and the nominees that, that are in front of them. So whether it's a local mayoral candidate uh, election, whether it's a national presidential election, or whether you are building the future Board of Directors of the National Rifle Association. Your vote matters. Wouldn't you say, Ling? Absolutely, and I so appreciate this opportunity, Cheryl. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Ling New, look her up on your NRA Board of Directors. Um, uh, shoot, I thought I forgot the ballot that's coming, <laughs> that's coming out. I just lost my word. All right. Well, thank you so much, and bye-bye think she's gone all right well stick around we still have coming up somebody I mean you really need to put your thinking cap on for our next guest we are going to be sitting in the student role 
uh, learning from this gentleman. This is Dr. Edwin Vieira coming up right after these messages. And he is an expert on the United States Constitution, a graduate. Talk about uh, Ivy League. He's from the Harvard Law School and a member of the bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. And he's going to be talking about the Second Amendment from a historical constitutional perspective. Stick around. American soldier. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at pottygoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the Westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are sponsored by azfirearms.com, the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And uh, we're a little patriotic today, have a little bit different uh, intro and exit music. And uh, as I kind of outed myself in the last segment, I was looking at my calendar wrong and I was preparing the show for Veterans Day. That's because every day is Veterans Day on Gun Freedom Radio. <laughs> I like that. That's a good save. I like it. And, and uh, Ed saying it's for it's for President's Day, right? So it's like, oh my goodness, I I hadn't changed my calendar 
in my den and I look up and oh the next Saturday is Veterans Day. I wasn't even engaged in my mind that no that's that was in November of 2017 so and anyway the reason I'm squirming in my chair over here is because every time I ask Cheryl a question she says did you look on your calendar <laughs> every day so oh, yeah I looked at my calendar the- 1957 calendar <laughs> said that I was supposed to be going to grade school oh later. man yeah that hurts that, that's the boomerang effect on me right there. Touche. Well done. All right. Well, we are super excited to bring you our next guest. And listen, put your thinking caps on, okay? This is when we sit in the student seat and we ask questions and we learn. And we just, you know, look to people who have spent their life studying things that a lot of us have maybe just either glossed over the Constitution of the United States. Can I say that with a straight face that many of us have just glossed over it? You know it's true. How many of you have not even read it? How many of us have not even read it? I shouldn't be pointing fingers. I, I really have read it, but not, I haven't studied it the way that our next guest, Dr. Edwin Vieira, who is an expert on the United States Constitution, a graduate of Harvard Law School, and a member of the bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. Welcome to the show, Dr. Vieira. My pleasure to be with you. Super excited to have you on. Now, we're, we're going to be talking about the Second Amendment, and everybody's like, yeah, I got it, 27 words, got it. You know, our militia got it. And then you're saying, no, wait a minute. There is a correct way to construe the Second Amendment, right? Well, yes, there's always a correct and an incorrect way to construe any provision of the Constitution, for that matter, almost any sentence in the English language. Uh, What's interesting about the constitutional interpretation is you have to put two together. First, you have to look at it as a sentence in the English language, and then you have to put it into the context of a specific time, place, history, set of legal principles, and so forth and so on, which are, do not appear, of course, in that sentence, except by indirection, except by implication in the various mm-hmm. words that are used. So there's a lot more to interpreting the Second Amendment than simply reading those 27 words. Okay, so context matters, history matters, word choice and usage of the time matters. These, is this what we're saying? Oh, well, absolutely. You have to put yourself in the, in the position of the people who were presented with this document, the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, what did they understand the words in those documents to mean? Mm -hmm. That's the key, because this is a law. When the law was passed, it had a meaning. It had to have a meaning or it could not possibly be a law. A provision that can't be understood cannot possibly qualify as a law. So at that particular point in time, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, specifically the Second Amendment, had clear meanings to the people who adopted them. And I'm talking about not simply the the framers who were in the Constitutional Convention or the people in the state conventions that may have ratified the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, but all of the American people at the time were the ones who were concerned with this, because how does the Constitution begin? It says, we, the people of the United States, do ordain and establish this Constitution, not simply the founders in the convention, not simply the uh, framers, if you will, who were in the state conventions, but the people of the United States as a whole. So it was a a document that was understood, or supposedly was understood, should have been understood by those people. And their understanding was derived from their own personal experiences, and that's especially important with respect to the Second Amendment, because it talks about a well-regulated militia. 
Okay. We'll get into how it all ties together, but if you think about that, just take those words separately. The Constitution is not a dictionary. It does not have a definition of most of the terms that it uses, especially the term well-regulated militia. Well, what did people understand by that terminology? The fact of the matter was that essentially every adult American, certainly the adult free males in the society at that time, either were serving or had served at one point in their lives in what they would have considered well-regulated militias. So they understood exactly what those terms meant in terms of the context of their own lives. And that's what we have to go back to. Uh, I mean, initially, when you look at the Second Amendment, you see that it consists of two clauses. Most people tend to focus on the second clause. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And to treat that first clause, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of free state, as, uh, well, maybe not an irrelevance, but not so important in terms of construction of the Second Amendment as a whole. But as I said before, the Second Amendment is a single sentence. And as a matter simply of the English language, one must read a whole sentence, not just a part of it, and one must construe the parts of the whole and the whole in terms of the parts. And that's a principle of interpretation of constitutional law, the statutory law, essentially all law. You cannot break up uh, a particular sentence, or in some cases a clause or a paragraph or what have you, and treat part of it as having meaning and the other part not. Now, if, if you apply that principle to the Second Amendment, what is the goal of the Second Amendment? Well, it's a free state. Right? Mm -hmm. It declares a well-regulated militia to be necessary for the security of a free state. So the militia has an instrumental purpose to enable us, the American people, to maintain a free state. And then to guarantee that such a militia exists, the Second Amendment commands that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. So no matter how that right might cover arms that are convenient for an individual's self-defense, Mm-hmm. It unquestionably protects all arms that are useful for the people's collective defense of a free state through the efforts of a well-regulated militia. And I would say, on the face of it, that's the amendment's primary concern. Now, this doesn't mean that the right of the people to keep and bear arms guarantees only such arms as would be useful for service in a militia. Mm-hmm. Or only arms possessed by the people actually serving in a militia. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that securing the people's possession of arms suitable for service in a well-regulated militia is a very important purpose of the amendment. And we have to keep that in mind because, as I said earlier, most people look at the Second Amendment solely in terms of what's called today the individual right of the people or of an individual, actually. The individual right to keep and bear arms suitable for individual self-defense. Well, we're a very individualistic society. (laughs) Well, you know, individual self-defense, there's really not a distinction Mm -hmm. between individual Mm self-defense and uh, collective defense for a very simple reason, that individual self-defense is integral to community self-defense. If you go back to, let's say, William Blackstone, Commentaries on the Laws of England. Mm -hmm. Many people may be familiar with that in general. That was a book that was very, very popular, probably the greatest legal treatise of the 1700s. The framers were uh, using that book. Many of them were brought up using that book as their basic legal text. And Blackstone points out that individual self-defense is a natural right. It's 
go back to the concepts of the Declaration of Independence. Mm-hmm. It's a natural right which allows for direct and immediate execution of the law by a victim of aggression against its perpetrator. That is, when I'm defending myself, I am executing the law against this aggressor, and I'm doing it because there's nobody else around to help me. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I have this natural right to do that because that's the only way in which the law can effectively be defended. Well, you look at that in the general context, you understand that when a person defends himself, he's also defending his community, as the lawyers say, pro tanto, mm-hmm. to that extent. All mm-hmm. right. And if you look at the Constitution of the United States, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 15, it talks about the authority and responsibility of the militia to execute the laws of the Union. So every individual act of self-defense actually performs a militia function. It's executing the laws, right? Mm-hmm. So if the main purpose of the individual right in the Second Amendment, and here I'm taking what you consider to be the kind of the standard view of people such as the National Rifle Association, uh, if the main purpose of the individual right in the Second Amendment is to allow for individual self-defense, then to that extent there's really no difference at all between the individual right and the militia interpretations of the Second Amendment. I mean, they're really talking about the same thing, just at different levels. Okay. Right? Individual performing this act of executing the laws in a particular context, as opposed to the militia doing it in the collective context on behalf of the community, as opposed to one specific individual. Okay. So I think that I'm following along. I just want to take one second and let people just kind of absorb all of that. And I also want to say that I'm so uh, grateful to the uh, the people over at constitutionalmilitia.com who connected you and I um, in this wonderful tool out there, Twitter, that, you know, I put up a, a Twitter post about something and they started commenting about, you know, just kind of dropping little seeds on the path about a lot, a lot of this stuff that you just explained. And it got me more curious. And I'm like, why don't why don't I think about things in the way that you're explaining? And why have we gotten so completely focused on it's all about the individual right? And what how does that apply to the militia? And um, so they were so wonderful to to connect uh, you and I and and I'm grateful for you to take the time today and kind of walk us through these things. We need to take a quick break. Run to commercial. That'll give people a minute to sort of absorb what you've said. But during the break, I also want to encourage people to look up the books that you've written. Like, there's a ton of them. <laughs> and one of them is titled 13 Words, right? The, th- the first 13 words of the Second Amendment. You've written an entire book about that. One is called... Um, Go ahead. I was going to say, the beauty of it is it's a short book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, in today's soundbite world, I think that's an important distinction to make so people don't feel like, ah, I don't have time to read War and Peace. And you're saying, look, this, these were simple words written for people of average intelligence and education um, all these years ago. And, you know, it, it doesn't take a, a War and Peace volume to, to help explain them. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely. One does not have to be a graduate of Harvard Law School to understand the Constitution, the Second Amendment, or specifically the first 13 words. In fact, if you go to Harvard Law School, that's probably a detriment. (laughs) Um, Another one of your books is called Three Rights. You talk about popular sovereignty, popular Mm self-government. 
popular resistance to usurpation and tyranny. And I think the key word there is, uh, let me guess, popular, meaning the populace, meaning That's the right, citizenry. The we, the, we the people. Right. The three most important words in the United States Constitution. Um, another one is by tyranny out of necessity. And I love the idea of this book, and I haven't read it yet. I'll admit I haven't read it yet. But it basically says, stop looking to FEMA-style help, government-based help every time we have a problem in our collective personal lives. Is that a fair assessment of that book? Well, that's certainly part of it. It goes a little bit further than that, and it talks about the uh, difficulties of what's called martial law. And actually, I think the whole FEMA operation, Department of Homeland Security, is kind of a subset mm-hmm. of this problem of martial law, which in this country has been developed and is developing to a great extent at every level of the federal system since the 9-11 event. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. been putting in all the mechanisms and structures and, and creating the popular uh, misconceptions that are necessary to set up that kind of a system. Mm-hmm. And the difficulty with that kind of a system is once it is uh, solidified in a structure, it's very difficult to remove. Absolutely. It kind of seeps into our culture and our social structures and our mindset. But I promised we were running to commercial and I better do that. So give me two minutes to run to commercial. We'll come back if you can hang on and we will dive deeper into what is meant by constitutional militia. Can you stick around? Great. Awesome. All right. Hang in there. We'll be right back with Dr. Edwin Vieira. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf.org. Org. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Potty Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Potty Gold Auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at PottyGoldEstate.com. 
Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. And that song, right? I mean, it's, are we still the land of the free? I think that's the thing that question that, that bubbles through my mind sometimes. We're definitely the home of the brave, but... We've given away so many of our freedoms in the name of what? The comfort, the greater good in air quotes. Um, And we, you know, we abdicated so much of even learning for ourselves what our founding fathers intended, what they wrote, why they wrote it, what it meant when they wrote it. And part of digging into that today is our guest, Dr. Edwin Vieira. He is an expert on our United States Constitution, a graduate of Harvard Law, and a member of the Bar of the Supreme Court of the United States. Are you still with us, Dr. Vieira? Oh, yes. Yes, I am. Fantastic. And so we were talking before the break just about, you know, the first clause, the first 13 words of the 27 words of the Second Amendment. And I want to talk now about, you know, that that word militia, that's such a, it's a thing that people get either hung up on, or they just want to race right past and not think about. And so you've studied this, and I think you can help give us, um, you know, a little bit better context about, you know, what what is that all about? Well, if we go back to the social historical legal context in which the Second Amendment was written, actually the Constitution, the original Constitution was written, it becomes absolutely clear what that terminology means, a well-regulated militia. The Second Amendment, as all the Bill of Rights, was added to the Constitution for the purpose of precluding misconstructions and abuses of the powers that had already been granted in the original Constitution. Mm -hmm. And if you look in the original Constitution, it refers to some institutions, establishments called the Militia of the Several States. Okay. The President is made the Commander-in-Chief of the Militia of the Several States when they're called into the actual service of the United States, and Congress is given certain powers with respect to the Militia of the Several States to prepare them to perform certain functions for the United States, for the general government. Mm-hmm. Well, what were these things? They actually existed at the time. Uh, you can look at the Articles of Confederation, which refer to them. You can look at state statutes from after 1776, after the states had declared their independence. And you can go back in American history through the colonial statutes, acts, ordinance, so forth. They had different names well back into the 1600s to find these institutions. And they had certain principles of organization, equipment, training, disciplining, governance, and so forth, which were laid out in these various statutes. And I've written an extremely detailed book called The Sword and Sovereignty, which goes through just two of the colonies and independent states, Rhode Island and Virginia, for reasons that are given in the book, and lays this out chapter and verse, going through the various sections of the statutes that were passed by those two colonies and states from, again, the 1600s through the time of the Constitution and the uh, Second Amendment. And we find various principles that were applied in every one of the colonies, every one of the states, were applied by Congress, actually, in the first Militia Act of 1792. And that's how you define 
what a well-regulated militia is. In fact, that terminology, a well-regulated militia, occurs usually in, in the uh, titles of the statutes. Okay. The statute will say something typically, uh, an act to regulate the militia of such and such, an act to amend an act to regulate the militia of such and such. The term regulation meant exactly that at that time. You, you would look to the particular law that was in control of that activity, and from that law you would determine what the principles were of, quote-unquote, regulation. So uh, one of the most important ones was universal compulsory service of some kind. Every adult, able-bodied male in the community from usually 16, 15 or 16 years up had to perform some service. Even if he were a conscientious objector, Mm -hmm. he might not, as a conscientious objector, be required to have a firearm or to use a firearm, but he might be required to purchase firearms for other people in the militia. He might be required to perform other kinds of services, some of which were perhaps more dangerous than actual service in the militia with a firearm, because the conscientious objectors under some of these statutes were required to serve as scouts and spies. Mm. And if you were caught as a spy, what was the penalty? Mm. Death. It was not imprisonment. You, you were not a prisoner of war. You were hanged. The penalty was death. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were fairly serious about the services that the people were supposed to perform. And that's one of the main components that we do not see today in the statutes in Congress and the various states, really dating from what happened in 1903, the so-called Dick Act, we see that most people have been consigned to a category which Congress and the states call the unorganized militia. Okay. In other words, it's people who do nothing who have no real service imposed upon them. They're not even required to go to some minimal kind of training that would you know, provide them with uh, the, the type of skills that they might use in a natural disaster type emergency, hurricane, tornado, or whatever. There's nothing of that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we have is so-called organized militia, and that's the National Guard. The problem with that is the National Guard is really not a constitutional militia. It comes under another section of the Constitution, uh, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3. The states and Congress have agreed to the expression is keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, and that's the National Guard. And you know this because the National Guard can become a component of the regular armed forces, of the regular army or, or navy, mm-hmm. which is an impossibility for the militia. The, the militia and the regular armed forces are, are separate entities in the Constitution. You'll see that if you just simply read it. They have separate provisions in the Constitution dealing with them. And, of course, the Founding Fathers were extremely worried about standing armies. Right. They already had one experience with a standing army, the British standing, which was their own standing army, let's recall this. Mm-hmm. Right? The founding fathers of the colonies were part of the British Empire, so the British army was actually their own standing army. And uh, we can remember, anyone who's read the history, General Gage in Boston and uh, Governor of Virginia and so forth and so on, and what they attempted to do to disarm the patriotic uh, populace with their standing armies to the extent that they could use them. So the standing army and the militia were always considered to be separate entities and a certain amount of suspicion and antagonism between the two <laughs> because the standing armies in the Founding Fathers' view were potentially the instruments by which tyranny could be imposed. Mm-hmm. And the militia were supposed to be this huge agglomeration of people who were prepared to resist this, and so many of people in that category within the militia, that it would be extremely difficult mm-hmm. for any standing mm-hmm. army to effectuate 
the type of tyranny that the founding fathers were worried about. Okay. So we see those distinctions. We can understand what these principles are. We can see that they haven't been applied today for all sorts of reasons, which I won't necessarily get into. But where does that leave us? Yeah, we've got two well, we have all minutes, sorts of so. problems. <laughs> well, well, we have all sorts of problems, leaving aside the potential of tyranny. Let's leave that aside for the moment. Mm-hmm. We have all sorts of problems of community preparedness which are not being met. Mm-hmm. Right? That's number one. Number two, we have a highly fractured society developing in this country. Mm-hmm. And malicious service would tend to solve that problem because everyone would now be put in the same boat. And you would begin to realize, people would begin to realize their real identity in terms of community service. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, with what we're seeing now with what's going on with the FBI and the Department of Justice, this whole scandal mm. that's emerging about the Trump administration being attacked uh, by these agencies or the deep state elements of these agencies. I think people would understand that we need to work very hard to restore a Republican form of government in this country, true popular sovereignty. We cannot leave these powers in the hands of these uh, nameless, faceless bureaucrats operating behind the scenes in agencies that have no accountability. Absolutely. And what is the first principle of the, of, of the militia in the Constitution? What's the first authority of the militia? To execute the laws of the Union. I'm very much surprised that Mr. Trump doesn't read the United States Code if he read Title 10 of the United States Code, Section 252 and 253, and I encourage your listeners to look those up. Title 10, Sections 252 and 253, he would see how he could use even the unorganized militia to deal with this problem of uh, essentially sedition in uh, the agencies in, in uh, Washington, D.C. And then, of course, we go on when we have corruption at all levels of the government, that, that state, local, national, uh, that would need to be cleared up. And as we talked about earlier, the threat of martial law. Absolutely. Right? Martial law always looks to the imposition of military force of some kind. Mm-hmm. on the populace, right? Mm-hmm. That's the standing mm-hmm. army concept. That's the Department of Homeland Security, the nameless, faceless bureaucrats in this uh, uh, agency in Washington, D.C. And the Founding Fathers pointed out that the only counterweight to that, which is effective, is what? The militia. Read uh, Federalist 29 by James Madison, where he lays this out in no uncertain terms. So we don't have these structures. There's no reason that we couldn't have them. We know what the principles, constitutional principles of them are, because the history tells us that. So it's really a matter of people exercising political will mm-hmm. to have this done. I wrote an, another book, uh, again, not too long, called Constitutional Homeland Security, mm-hmm. which goes into that particular question. Absolutely. Right? Here we are. We don't have this. What do we need to do to begin to organize people eventually uh, to cause the appropriate laws to be passed to bring this structure back into operation? Mm-hmm. And that's, in my view, that's the real problem. The Constitution tells us what to do. Mm-hmm. There are practical ways to do it. Mm-hmm. The country is going to hell in a handbasket unless we do it. Right. It would seem that we really don't have much of a choice. Absolutely. Hey, we've got to wrap but I, I really want to have you back on again in the future. There's so much more that we need to explore and talk about and, and help pique people's curiosity so that they 
they start investigating these things. They start looking up things like Title Ten Clause uh, Section Two Fifty Two and Two Fifty Three, and 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 really engage themselves in the process. Um, and I think that uh, your books that you've written, I think that the things that we've talked about on the air today, are a good start for that. Um, a good primer to get people interested even if they're arguing with you in their mind that's good right because if they're oh, arguing ab- with absolutely. you in their mind absolutely. then it puts it on right. them the onus is on them to go and prove you wrong right well it it puts the onus on them to begin investigating this area absolutely. and i think if they investigate the area they'll find history i mean i haven't invented any of this right. these are not my opinions right the history right. is all there my books are full of references to the actual history right Absolutely. and that's what people have to have, have to face up to what did the constitution uh, incorporate what was the purpose of this document and how have we deviated from it right very good i really have to go and i'm so sorry but please please come back on again in the future Would whenever you, you want Fantastic. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. This is Dr. Edwin Vieira we've been talking to. Please uh, look him up online. Go to my uh, the guest page on our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click on the guest tab, and I put a bunch of links to uh, a lot of his books and articles and video interviews he's done. Um, this is your call to action. Start, start getting engaged. And thank you so much, Dr. Edwin Vieira. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Stick around. We still have another full hour coming up where we have Sidney Powell, author of License to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice, and Natalie Foster, the creator of Girls' Guides to Guns, talking about shooting while pregnant. This is big for moms and dads, so stick around. America! When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com, or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com.
Hey ladies, Cheryl Todd here from azfirearms.com. Many of us ladies are taking the important step of becoming responsibly armed, but it can be an intimidating process. And with all the politics swirling, a first-time gun buyer, whether a guy or a lady, might feel uncertain about where to begin and who to trust. At azfirearms.com, we are a small, friendly, family-owned shop that specializes in first-time gun buyers. We are staffed with knowledgeable people who are ready to help answer all of your questions. My husband husband Dan and I pride ourselves on having a safe, no-pressure environment. Once you have decided on a purchase, azfirearms.com partners with professional firearms instructors who will train you to become a responsible, safe, prepared, and proficient gun owner. So ladies and gents, when you are looking for personalized service and a huge selection, come to azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road or visit us on the web at azfirearms.com. 